0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman. I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are working to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And we are so lucky to have amazing partners uh, join us in this effort. And we're lucky that uh, Red and Sumaya started this podcast. Yes, it's a podcast. We're here on Clubhouse, but we record this and put it out on every major podcasting app so that we could bring knowledge from some of the best and brightest and make it accessible to everybody, no matter. What your lived experience is, we believe that you deserve access to knowledge, opportunity, and a community, a place to be yourself and to connect with others who have similar interests. And today... Red and Sumea, we have a guest who I'm super excited. If I'm not mistaken, we met because of these clubhouse conversations and a VP at Motorola Solutions. And I'm super excited because Motorola Solutions just became a gold sponsor on the Inclusive Product Management Summit that we have coming up. So, not just a chance to share knowledge, but also to find your people people who also care about inclusion and companies that do as well. So, Jeremiah, one, thank you for joining us. And then two, briefly tell us a little bit about yourself as a product manager. And then if you don't mind, what it, tell us about Motorola Solutions and, and why the organization is putting their muscle behind the Inclusive Product Management Summit we have May 20th. Uh,
1: it's fantastic to be here. Uh, absolutely became aware of this program through Clubhouse. Long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. 15 years at Motorola, I lead product for a chunk of our software group. And that chunk of the software group covers... Solutions that are used for public safety. So when you have a a medical emergency down like one, there's actually a special piece of software behind that. The person who's taking that call is capturing information, recording it, and the software is helping figure out the best and most appropriate response and getting the right resources there to have the best outcome. So fire, police, EMS, any of those things get covered through the public safety software spectrum. So Motorola Solutions does not make cell phones. That's a business that we divested in, uh, in 2011. We are market leader in the space. We do public safety, globally enterprise security, fixed video, and the like. We're about eighteen thousand employees around the globe. And why why does inclusive product management matter for us? You, know, if you think about a company like Motorola. We've got north of a hundred thousand customers in over a hundred countries. We can't expect that everybody sitting around in our in one of our offices in the U.S. is going to be able to understand the needs and wants of every one of our users across the globe. So. Having a bench and a talent that can empathize and understand with the full breadth of our, of our customers and end users is really what we're excited about and want to be behind in supporting.
0: All right. Thank you, Jeremiah, for being a longtime listener. And and of course, the first time caller, we're really glad to have you here on the show. And Red, before I turn it to you, I want to let everybody know what we're going to talk about today, because every week we talk about how to succeed in product management, and we take a different piece of that. And I have a feeling, I don't know what the listener is, what feeling they're getting, but Sumeya and our guests are just so good at making it sound easy. I know everybody might not feel that way, but what they say, what they've said is so, they put it so intuitively and so brilliantly that it could seem easy. And so I want, today, we're going to discuss, you know, what makes product management difficult? Where are the actual challenges and where does it get messy and more difficult than than, our, than Sumaya has uh, graciously made it seem by, by explaining it so clearly. In red, people are going to be able to ask their questions. So we're going to talk about what makes product management difficult. And if people want to chime in or get their questions answered from Jeremy, Meyer Sumea, are you red to tell them how they could do it? Absolutely. Uh, so for those who are new to
2: this room and those who are listening in in the podcast world, that's right. I said the podcast world. That's because tonight, this isn't just a clubhouse for those who are here, but to be inclusive for product managers everywhere who couldn't make it tonight, we turn this conversation into a podcast, How to Succeed in Product Management. Well, you can find it in your local podcast store. Now, as for how to get involved in the community, we have so many different events and offerings, whether it's, you know, joining an Accelerated to learn how to become a product manager through University of Washington, or more importantly, joining the community through our Slack group. That's right. We have a Slack group. I'll be putting in a link above so everyone can feel free to click on it and get involved if you're here today. But for those of you who could not make it tonight, just find me on Twitter find me on linkedin just ping me and i will find a way to get this link out to you so with that in mind and i see a note here from jeff you know we're gonna put up the slack link for maybe five to ten minutes. And then we're going to shift gears to focus a little bit more on why this whole thing started, Jeff, and how I came to be involved with the University of Washington's Product Management Center. So with that, Jeff, I'll hand it back to you. And when the time is right, we'll talk a little bit more about what UW does for the community and how you can get more involved. Back to you, Jeff.
0: All right, Red, thank you for being here. And the energy that you bring And you you said all that and you forgot one thing, the most important thing, which is Red's moment to shine is in about 20 minutes where uh, Red brings the energy to this. Conversation and welcomes anybody here on stage. I don't know if you said that, but I I might have blanked over while you said it, but I didn't hear it. So, Red is not
2: about me, Jeff. I know, but
0: it's about you giving them a chance, not just in the Slack group, but here to come up on stage and be recorded for all to hear talking with Jeremiah and Sumaya. So, Red's going to do that in a moment. Sumaya, why is it important for people to know the difficult parts of product management where things are not as easy as you've or intuitive as you've made it sound so far? Why is this an important topic for everybody?
3: If I had. Made product management sound easy. I apologize. (laughs) It is a very challenging position to be in, to be a product manager, especially if you want to be a great product manager. But I think also if you have that desire and enjoy some of the challenges that keep coming up and popping up, for example, dealing with people, thriving in ambiguity, there are certain things that if your personality or you like working with those kinds of challenges it will seem easier than it might otherwise but why is this important why is it important to understand the hardest parts about product management i think it's conversation not everything is rosy not everything is as easy as i might make it sound <laughs> might make it sound sometimes but i think also the nuance of what those challenges look like and what the upside and the joy of those challenges can bring is an important part of that conversation. I'm excited we're gonna get to have that today.
0: All right. Thank you, Samaya. And I don't think you need to apologize for making it sound easy. And maybe you didn't, but it just feels like you explained things so intuitively that it's now fun to dive into some of that complexity that maybe is not as intuitive. And Jeremiah, I want to turn to you. Where do you think product management becomes difficult? Where is it, you know, not just, hey, know your goals, know your customers, and and always focus in on that. Where does it kind of fall apart?
1: Yeah, I think the word ambiguity was, was a good one. One of the things I often... <laughs> you know, coach folks coming into product management is it's not just knowing every framework and coming in and just being able to apply that. It's not a test to pass. It's not like the where you you're having your college education. You get an A from the professor at the end of the day. You have everybody grading you. Every stakeholder, every customer is rating you, understanding you, and you know, they don't necessarily care what framework or methodology you've used. That preparation may help you get a, a better outcome, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to be a person who understands every one of your stakeholders, what they need, and be able to bring the best tools uh, and be able to improvise based on the situation. And that ambiguity is really tough for folks coming into the career to be able to navigate.
0: Sumeo, where do you think it breaks down where it becomes really tough? And, and maybe bring that to light with an example if possible.
3: Yeah, absolutely. In general, I break it up into three parts, or the difficulties around product management, I break them up into three parts. And none of them have to do with the hard skills, for example, of writing a user story or doing an analysis on market demand. None of that. I think the hardest parts are around, to repeat what we've said so far, around ambiguity is one. Two is around people. And three is around the, all the moving parts you need to worry about. Unlike many other other jobs in product management. You have to worry about the internal company dynamics. You have to worry about the market. You have to worry about the different stakeholders you have to work with and influence. You have to work uh, to worry about macro and micro trends. And depending on the type of product you work with, there are so many other factors and moving parts you have to, to think about. But the one that if I had to choose a single one and put it at the top of the list, I'm going to say it's people. We talk about people in terms of influence without authority or inspiring people or making sure you communicate effectively with people. But there are all these things because people are so different and people are really important to the success of your job. And in a lot of cases, they don't report to you, but you have to convince them to get stuff done. You have to inspire them to do the right things. And I think that continues to always be the hard part of the job because people are just and so dynamic themselves.
0: Thank you, Sumeya. And then Jeremiah, I want to turn back to you. You said something that resonated with me because as a professor here at the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington, when we give an assignment, we give a rubric. And you said you're graded not just by a professor, but you're graded by your customers, your stakeholders, and all these different judges. What is the rubric that customers give you? Like, how do you know if you're passing? when it comes to serving your customers?
1: You know, lots of different ways to measure that, but at the end of the day, are, are they willing to pay you a dollar for what you did? <laughs> and and if you're know if you not, ultimately they will vote with their checkbooks, right? And there's a lot of indicators along the way before you get that dollar and, and after you've gotten that dollar. But if what you're doing isn't resonating, ultimately they're gonna pick a competitor or find some other way to go. And you know that plays out every day. It's just how, how in tune with that are you? Are you picking up the signals early enough to know uh, before that customer leaving or never buying in the first place plays out.
0: And you kind of hit the nail on the head that it's it's trickier than just do they walk with their wallets because by then it might be too late to, of course, correct it or to you might have invested more time and resources into something that you shouldn't have. So Sumeya, what are some of those indicators that you're looking for that helped you understand the customer's rubric as to whether they are going to open up their wallets and engage in the activities that you hope they will when you launch it or ship a feature?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to start with the most basic one, <laughs> which is frequency of talking to the customer. And, and not just the the word frequency, but just talking to the customer. I think uh, this is an area where product managers learn a lot from people in the sales function about what to do there. Early and often. So you talk to your customer or prospective customer throughout your validation process of your product as you are building features and adding them. Even before you launch, you're having those conversations, you're taking their feedback in, and you're making them feel like they're partners and part of that creation of the solution. And then that continues on even after you launch and after you continue building and maturing the product. Now, this is easily said than done when it comes to enterprise products with my current company, where, you know, a few deals basically uh, make a a product successful. But when you're talking about smaller products, let's say for SMBs, trying to do this at scale. And so the conversation with a customer there probably looks slightly different. So yeah, there is some nuance here.
0: And Jeremiah, sorry to keep digging on this same question, but it's one I hear a lot is just like, how do you know if you're on the right track? Where should you go next before they have to vote with their wallet, so to speak? So Jeremiah, are there any other ways that you gain confidence that you're on the right track as you're building out your product?
1: Yeah, I think you know again, it's a team sport, right? And I always look at sales as the first customer, and if sales isn't infectiously enthusiastic about the product, it's not going to it's not going to go anywhere, right? So, the sales can proxy for the customer. Nothing beats getting out in front of the customer. Depending on the size of your of your company, you may have user research, corporate strategy, competitive strategy, all kinds of other functions that can give you leading insights to the problem you're trying to solve. You may have a, you know, an overall strategy you're operating in, but you want to be able to leverage every one of those tools as quick as you can. And if you're working on something that's already shipped, then, you know, it's you know, having an appropriately metric observable, watching NPS and, you know, having a really tight ear to your support experience is essential. because <laughs> The support is where where problems are going to pop up first, and a lot of things get handled or not handled in the support departments before they'll ever show up on a dashboard. So having a really good you know, view of what are people calling about every day or what kind of incidents are they seeing? You know, did somebody go dark on us altogether? <laughs> like what's happening in, in those? So a lot of it is, again, it's because it's a team sport, it's communicating, talking to everybody, understanding what everybody else can, is seeing and then, you know, being able to, to look into all the, all of that noise and divine the insights that are going to give you the, the right activities going forward.
0: All right. So I want to shift gears a little bit because we spend, Every week, pretty much reminding people that everybody belongs in product. And what we mean by that, or I mean by that is regardless of your education, your lived experience, if you're hungry and you have the right attitude and you have the right approach, um, nothing should hold you back. So no degrees or whatever about who you are should hold you back. But I think it is important as it's becoming such a buzzy and a really hot job that people now want without necessarily knowing, without everybody knowing exactly what's in it. I want to do the opposite. Like who should not be a product manager? And I mean this in terms of like, what are the, the personality traits or the character trait or the way they like to work that is not well suited for product manager? Again, I, I want to emphasize that I do feel everybody has a place in product management if it's... Matches with their interests and talent and ability and not their lived experiences in their work history and that kind of thing. But in terms of like character traits or what they need to thrive, who is this not for? I'll let either of you come off mute to take that one.
3: I have some general, (laughs) general beliefs around this, but also as I was thinking about them, I was thinking about... Some you know different environments or different corporate cultures, where regardless of what they say, you know there is a situation that's going to be appropriate for that person. So, so I'm going to st- start all this by by saying that product management the role looks different in different companies. There are companies where the product manager is almost like a business analyst. All they have to do is propose what the are and. And then let a whole other team work through the execution and, you know, bringing things together, et cetera. And there are others where the product manager is almost like the CEO of the product. And yet there are others where it's a hybrid or they're more like a project manager. And so, you know, as we speak about general inclinations or beliefs, understand that also the reality on the ground factors a lot into what actually ends up happening. But in general, I think a product manager is someone who who has to enjoy working with people if you like to sit down and get work done quietly and you know finish the day and feel accomplished because you wrote a lot of code or you wrote you know a nice document then this is probably not a great place for you to be in because dealing with people is probably draining and not <laughs> as enjoyable that's one the second one is if you find that you need a lot of data And, you know, wherever there is uncertainty, you need a a ton of information before you can move forward. If that's your personal inclination, I would encourage you to work on that. And I've seen people change their personality that way, where they're okay with dealing, you know, they become okay with dealing with less information over time and relying a little more on instinct or on the little information they have. If you can work on that, then that's great. Otherwise, if you think you need a lot of information and you get into the analysis paralysis place a lot, and that's where you're comfortable, then product management in a lot of cases is not a great place to be because everyone in the team is looking at you for direction. And if you're get, getting mired too much into this analysis stuff, you're going to not provide the right direction to the team, and that that's where it falls apart.
1: There's a couple, couple additional ones I've seen You know, in the theme of how to fail at product management, the if you're a person who can't say no, I would say this is a really challenging career because you inherently, in doing prioritization, you're making choices about when or if someone is ever going to get something in in your product, and and that inherently means that you're going to have to go back to a customer and say not this year or maybe never. And that clarity can be a really good thing for customers or potential customers, but the inability to say no, you know, can create a lot of pent up frustration and anger, and is is things you know don't play out the way that. Someone was imagining they would. So, if you're a person who's not comfortable, you know, saying no or letting someone, you know, down on, on in terms of what they are wanting or expecting, PM's, PM's probably not the right role. Back to the, the team sport piece, you know, I and again, this is the same caveat. This is in general. I would say if you're if you're a person that has to be in complete and total micro control. That works in a few product manager roles, but the majority of product manager roles, it's, it's more about how do you build up a whole team that is coordinating together to create a great customer experience and customer journey. And putting yourself as the center point or the, you know, the, the control point on every piece of that will almost certainly ensure it fails. So to me, a big part of what makes a great product manager is the ability to enable the rest of the organization to learn and move quickly to create that experience and be fully empowered. And if you can't create an environment where that occurs and be comfortable with letting go, you're going to struggle in this field.
0: All right. So diving deeper a little bit into something that I kind of heard from both of you is how much should a product manager stake a claim based off of the data in the interviews and kind of listening to people and say, this is where we're going versus trying to see where everybody wants to go. So how much agency do you give your other stakeholders in kind of pushing where you go and how much do you stake a claim and motivate and empower and push people towards where you see you should go? I'll let either of you come off mute and then you could come off mute and add or uh, retort to anything the other one says.
1: So tricky one. I think again, this is another one where there isn't a you know, one size fits all answer. A lot of it depends on, in my opinion, the amount of risk you're trying to avoid and how difficult it is to pivot down the line. So, if you're working on a product that, say, has you know is has maybe has some more hardware than software in it and requires you know, millions of dollars of R and D to get tied up in, in a multi year march, you probably should have de risked that <laughs> pretty heavily before you went
2: down that path,
1: right? And de risking can be through customer research, voice the customer, it, it can be through competitive research, it can be through you know, getting a corporate strategy to really flesh out where, where you want to go and make sure that the right portfolio is going to come together, except lots of mechanisms at lots of different companies to go and do those things. And because it's hard to pivot, that de-risking is really important. You know, inversely, you might be in a scenario where you have a two-week sprint, you ship, click the button, go, and you have a lot of observable data for how the users are interacting with it. And you can make a decision two weeks later to, to ship another and fundamentally change the product and the technology. And risk is not as high. So you can make a lot more gut decisions and run on intuition in that scenario because the, the cost is not as severe. Depending on you know the, the flexibility of your stakeholders, uh, the, the amount of capital you have in front of you, the nature of your competitive landscape, you've really got to make a decision you know about how much you want to invest. But at some point, whether it's a long period of time or a short period of time, you need to make a decision. You need to go. And, it, and it's really how how big of a problem is it to undo it down the line if you made the
3: wrong one? In my mind, I think Jeremiah's you know use of risk as a you know a decision maker or to help you decide on what approach to take is consistent also with how I go about this. In general, I think if it's a bet, well, I want to start with the following: whatever decision ends up being made, whether you make it or the team collectively makes it, you're still responsible for it. So every PM owns the decision, regardless of how it gets made. So if you start that place, then I'm sure, at least for me, I'm always interested in in, in uncovering bias that goes into my decision making. So if I'm faced with a decision, I always have an opinion based on data that I've analyzed, opinion based on my instinct or product sense on my experience, but then based or the guide or how big that bet is i want to have as many people around the table help me uncover biases that into my decision making and and i don't really bring them together or facilitate these sessions or conversations just with that intent i truly bring them together from a place of curiosity and w- wanting to know what else do others know about this problem or the solution that I'm not aware of. And so, yes, just like Jeremiah said, all about understanding the risk. And then the the second step after that is how do you actually take in that information from your team or from others? What are some of the techniques, the facilitated workshops, you know, the things you ask for, the kinds of data you need to look at? That's where I think the actual rubber hitting the road is for most of us.
0: All right. So I've asked my questions and I'll chime back in in a little bit, but now it's time for you in the audience to get your questions answered. Before I turn it over to Red, I just want to let everybody know that registration is now open for the Inclusive Product Management Summit, May 20th and May 21st. We have a whole day dedicated to inclusive AI as a Many guests have said you know, AI is going to be fairly ubiquitous uh, for a product manager, and inclusion in AI um, is critical, and you're going to learn why it's critical, how to use inclusive AI to drive success, and how to make AI inclusive. Um, That's all on the second day of the summit. We have some amazing speakers and amazing partners, including Motorola Solutions, who is generously a gold uh, sponsor on the summit. So hopefully we'll see you there. Uh, It's a great chance to connect with other aspiring people. PMs, other product managers, other senior leaders in product management and in product. So everybody is welcome at the Inclusive Product Management Summit. Register today. I think scholarships close Friday. So if you're listening on the podcast, it, uh, hopefully you listen every week. If you're listening here in Clubhouse and you needed a scholarship, again, uh, we want to be inclusive of everybody, not just uh, based off of not just those who could pay. Uh, So get your scholarship application in this before this Friday. All right. And again, thanks to Motorola Solutions, who is making it possible for us to offer scholarships. So Red, sorry, I had to just throw that all out there. Now it's your turn. Are you red E.
2: Crickets. Twice in one show, I thought I, I
0: had to do it. Maybe three more times. All right. Red, it's your show, man. Run this thing.
2: Absolutely, Thank you. Thank you. Well, at this point, when Jeff said it's my show, my is a inclusive term for all. I haven't come up with a fun acronym that is funny yet that MY stands for. But what it means now is that you have a chance to ask questions. It, It might not be as easy, but you can always join our Slack group and ask it after the fact. But for those who are here tonight, present and accounted for, this is your time to shine. There is on the little screen that you're looking at on Clubhouse on the bottom right is a clipboard. If you select that clipboard, you can raise your hand and ultimately we'll invite you up on stage to ask questions. There's also a chat group going on right now where folks are encouraged to ask whatever they want. Uh, Right now, Sumeya, they are singing your praises and singing the praises of the product management group that we have going on tonight. So love the love in the air. So again, as a reminder, Q&A, this is a time for you to... Speak your mind and also share what it is that you'd like more clarity on from our experts tonight on stage. With that in mind, Jeff, I'm going to give everyone a second to navigate around, pump their questions, maybe reach out to me in Slack. And in the interim, while we're waiting, passing it back to you to get some what we would call not just banter, but potentially some scandalous blood in the water, ultimately disagreements that happen between PMs that I always strive for yet fail to get week over week.
0: Hey, you know, you're consistent. We both have our shtick at this point. Uh, so <laughs> you want controversy. I want to make the red e-joke. So, Jeremiah, you came into this prepared with a couple, I'd call them axioms almost. You had a couple bite-sized lessons. I'm wondering if you want to share a few of them here today.
3: I think
1: we're, we're, uh, we've been cruising through a number of them in the questions. Now, I think a few that maybe haven't touched on yet, uh, super important ones, places you're Hills you can die on, places your career can end. One of the, one of the big ones is that you are not your product. <laughs> and the, we get so passionate about what we're building, you know, that it's really easy to get you know attached in an unhealthy way. <laughs> and that maybe 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 your company needs to pivot, maybe the strategy changes, maybe a company wants to go in a different direction with its resources, et cetera. If you're in a healthy culture, you're good, and you've been doing a great job, you're going you're gonna to be taken care of and you're going to find a, a great spot beyond on the next product. But I've seen certainly places where folks can go sideways because they want to hang on to it and fight against that change in strategy or direction. So, you know, you are not your product, I think is a really, really important one. I can hit on a few more, Jeff, if you want to keep going or...
0: Well, I first just want to see if Sumaya will give Red his controversy that he's hoping for. Do you agree or disagree with you are not your product axiom here?
3: Well, <laughs> I think so. So there, there was a comment there, Jeremiah. Uh, uh, some people take things personally, and I think there is like a balance to strike. You need to take things a little, per- but not too personally, and you can tell the difference because people who are really obsessed about their product, they care about the health of their team. They're just they show up a little differently, and. I'm not saying make work be your identity as a person and definitely not a healthy thing to be, but there is this balance to strike between taking things personally a little bit, but not too personally, that everything is your fault, essentially, or everything is a problem that breaks you down.
1: (laughs) Fight and the energy for your product. You want to have that passion. But at, at the end of the day, if somebody says, well, you know, we have product A and product B, and we've decided that product B is the one we're going to go ahead on, don't end your career product A. Right? There'll be a spot for you in product B potentially, or building product C. Right?
2: Well, Jeff, I have to say, it, again, sounds like they agree and they're getting along. There's no, there's no controversy. We're going to stoke it. One week, it's going to happen. But I'm happy to know you're getting along because guess what, Jeremiah. Samantha, we have a question. If you go to the chat, everyone is singing your praises by the way. And there are people that are saying, I haven't seen you in a while and it's great to see you here, love all that. But what I wanna focus on is helping return to the community where there might be a gap in learning and understanding. And so for that first one, we have someone named Aya who has a question. What's best to successfully get the best of a PM in a super technical team, like uh, for example, an API team? what's best to successfully get the best of a PM for someone uh, that is going to be a PM of an API team? Do you need more clarifying information on that question, or are you uh, capable or able to jump in on that one, Jeremiah? I think I do need a little bit more on that one. So Aya, if you don't mind putting into the chat and clarifying a little bit more what it is you're asking, but we do already have someone in the chat, Garav, weighing in, saying to get the best PM for API team is to have a technical folk who wants to transition to product management. So I think I'm going to expand the question here. What makes a better PM for API and technical products? Something that is more like building a neural network or AI. Is it a, PI, a PM that comes from a more technical background or a PM that comes from more of a PM background? So not an engineer, but rather someone who's a high-end, just fantastic, careered PM. What's your thoughts?
1: I think there's a lot of different philosophies on this and how to structure teams and what kind of talent fits in, what kind of roles. What's worked for me might not work for others, is I tend to think about people as either wearing more of the product management hat, so more naturally extroverted, out with customers, out with sales, doing the enablement work. Building up the ethics, understanding the product strategy, the backlog, etc. Those tend to be, by nature of personality, folks who have have more product manager, subject matter expertise, go to market type experience. And you know the other side is are, are you know what I would frame it more as product owners, who are folks who t- spend more more of their time uh, with inward stakeholders, uh, thinking about how to get that backlog elaborated to where an engineer can pick it up and really, you know, challenge them in the process of estimation, sit side by side throughout a sprint and make sure that the right level of detail is driving the right outcome. In small teams, you may have to wear both hats. Um, (laughs) In large teams, that may be split into two different jobs. And, you know, again, there's a lot of different philosophies on this. You may have, you know, there's companies that do the VA model. There's companies that do, you know, design and research out separately, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, I kind of think about who's the extrovert and who's the introvert. And on the API question, it really depends on what, again, what's the work that needs to be done? Is the work mostly working with an internal team that doesn't have a lot of external customers and, and wants real in-depth technical background might be a better fit for someone who's who's coming into the role with an engineering bent. You know, conversely, maybe the API needs to go build a, a partner program of people who are gonna use the API. You're gonna go talk you know, out in the industry and start to drum up business. How are you gonna, you know, what's the what's the business model you're gonna put around it? Who are the people that are gonna participate? How are you going to create value for those end customers? That might be someone more with a, P, you know, kind of a PM type experience. So, is usually the answer with in these questions is it depends. But I think there's, there's some 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 good kind of questions you can ask to really ferret out if it's the right role for you.
2: Okay, so that's opinion that is very consistent with what we've heard on the show, and I want to make sure Aya, you feel like you've been heard. But Sumeya, what's your thoughts on this perspective? Is this one of those moments where you agree? And if you do, where else could you fill in the gaps? in terms of just making sure someone who might not have the right background for, let's say this, again, hypothetical API role, what's the best way for them to approach this?
3: Yeah, I think everything Jeremiah said, I was just looking at the clarification Aya provided About, you know, technical products usually don't have a visual or big business or customer focus. Jeremiah definitely addressed that part. And then, you know, they have to deal mostly with internal teams customer issues that involve other teams so a lot of that stakeholder management and backlog uh, prioritization and management that's you know part of enterprise let's say products i know that we think of those two uh, sometimes as different you know external facing customers and internal ones and the only really the only difference between the two sometimes is what is the business driver for the product but when it comes down to it Basically, in, in terms of, you know, user-centered design and thinking about the user first and what we can build at scale and get the most out of the highest feasibility and, the you know, the addressing the highest impact things, those equations don't change fundamentally. I say that as someone who has worked on APIs, I've had products that were APIs, uh, products that were for engineers, products that were enterprise internal. You know, we wouldn't make a cent out of them. And and then products that we profit and revenue targets associated with them. The equation is actually all the same. What I have found to be different is the culture of the company and the hiring manager. So if the hiring manager is very much fixated on having someone who can speak engineers in the language that they are most comfortable with, then they will look for someone with technical background, regardless whether the product is external facing or not. And so I don't have a conversation to that, but I think fundamentally at the end of the day, it's about that. And then if you, it's about you, about what matters to you as a PM, if you're trying to figure out what is the money, cast a wide net. Interview with a lot of people. Figure out who are the kinds of people you want to work with, and maybe that would be you know, a good place to start. That's in addition to what Jeremiah already mentioned, too.
2: Well, I think that not only was that a satisfactory answer, Sumea. I continuously see in the chats, just praise from Aya for all the contributions everyone's giving. Um, but, you know, hey, look, we got also a special opportunity right now. Someone who is in that chat helping out, guiding uh, with the questions, Garav, Welcome to the stage. Um, curious to see what question you might have, or is it perhaps you want to add your piece to this puzzle uh, layering on the original question from Aya?
4: Yeah, uh, thank you, everybody, to, you know, uh, pull me up. And I just wanted to elaborate on the question and answer for specifically APIs and data product managers. So there are certain roles which require technical, uh, you know, understanding. So data product managers and APIs specifically think require certain set skills. So when you're dealing with APIs, so the major function of APIs to deliver the payload and the payload has to be dependent on three things. One is the database and one is infra and other is the backend piece where the payload is going to and information is going to be uh, rendered on front end so for these kind of roles a person who you know understand all of these things because that person has to deal with three teams right now and then that person has to clarify and you know create chunks of information which has to be uh, you know communicated to the folks who are developing the apis so in that scenario a technical person who wants to transition to product management is the right kind of a person. But, uh, you know, if you are a a product manager into a functional role, you can also transition into APIs. but you need to get a detailed understanding about how things function. And probably with time, if you are, you know, in connect with an API product Uh, manager, with time you'll be able to learn their language as well, and you can excel in that field too. So that is what I just wanted to add here uh, in terms of um, how which is going to be the API, you know, teams product manager and how to select that. So that is what my understanding.
3: Gaurav, I want to ask a little a couple more questions around this. Because I think for people who are not technical, I don't want anyone to get out, out of the room thinking API <laughs> products are inaccessible for them to product manage. And the reason I, I say this is because fundamentally API products serve two purposes. One, they communicate data out. And two, they receive a communication of some, it either tells them, oh, we have, the communication can be anything from we need data to we will get to send you data to here is the kind of data to confirmation, whatever that communication is. So that's fundamentally what the API is. So why, if you have engineers on the team who are competent and you can communicate with them as a PM, why would you need to know more than that to start as a PM working on an API?
4: So, Soumya, to answer this question, it totally depends on project to project. So, let's suppose, for example, you work and organization to organization as well. So, let's suppose, for example, I am working on a bigger project. There are like seven sub projects to that. To maintain all of these projects, there has to be a centralized API team because APIs cannot be built in silos. And if they are merged in the common architect, it is going to create chaos there. And it has to be scalable as well. So there is a centralized and API team which has to be created to which is serving or providing APIs to multiple tracks and clearing their uh, dependencies, interdependencies as well. So it totally depends on organization to organization. So right now I'm doing that. Plus if you are into a startup, so in a startup, the expectation is set from very beginning that, you know, you will be going with a, you know, feature driven uh, development. uh, And in that, whenever the feature is coming, you're developing the APIs and the API will be made by the technical folks only. And then they create their own structure so sometimes in startups the architecture is missing altogether and that is where it creates a lot of problem for them to scale as well so it depends on organization to organization plus it depends upon project to project as well
2: to hold on just a second just to make sure we have time for the speakers to to weigh in on the breadth of really good information you've provided
1: yeah i think i think again it's certainly that way of defining an api product manager exists in certain companies in certain roles right but there are plenty of API related jobs that that, that aren't that. I, I know that because I hired one like two years ago, I was a very senior API product manager. But besides an API pushing data in and pushing data out, there also needs to be an ecosystem of partners that are signed up and a part of that uh, to play together, right? So I viewed the most important job of that product manager to go and cultivate the ecosystem. Because I, you know, I have pretty sharp engineers already who had written a pretty robust API. Sure, it's going to be improved, that kind of thing. But what the you know what I really wanted to make sure was that we were we were cultivating a group of companies that would work together with us and in this case it was to help bring data into emergency response to help drive better outcomes so what's you know medical data health data location data and how can we make sure that the all that information is getting to first responders to drive the right outcome much less about the technical you know nature of the API and much more about What does that ecosystem look like? What are the types of data that could be moving through it? And then team that up in a way that that we could get the engineering team moving sprint to sprint.
2: Okay. So here we have, I wouldn't call it controversy, but it's what I call dueling opinions, right? Perspectives, which is really important. And Gaurav, I want to thank you for the opportunity to really come up on stage and share a different perspective. And hopefully everyone walks away uh, better for knowing at least the world of APIs. What is possible when you're trying to either join or higher as a product manager. Now, I want to be respectful of the time that we have left because I see another question in here coming from wand. hopefully I said your name correctly. Uh, dear Moderators, Oh, I love that. Uh, dear Jeff, this is the first time I think we've had a Dear Moderators. Isn't that touching? I think we've, uh, I just, I love that. I love that. I'm interested about the initiation of a new project. What kind of goal setting methods you use? So uh, again, I'm interpreting the question here. So Sumeya, give me one second here. I think this has to do a lot with methods and frameworks, which I know you love. What would be your thoughts about OKRs? objectives and key results uh, and, the, and the methods for setting those goals. And maya, I know you love frameworks, but given how much uh, we dived in with Garav, I wanna give Jeremiah a perspective here. This individual is curious to know what framework you might use or methods you use to uh, come up with your goal setting in OKRs, or if you don't use OKRs, just your goals for the quarter. What are your thoughts, Jeremiah?
1: there's a lot of again lots of religion on this topic so i'm not you know d- different teams use different goal setting methods i even within my teams uh, across the globe i had different teams using different methods i think there's no shortage of rubrics out there i think what's really important is always staying for, cause focused on the north star of what you're trying to create if you know if you're not at a point where you have that north star you better start there so and once you have that North Star, you can figure out what works best for your team, your situation, and, you know, to, to have a framework that's going to drive the right outcome for you and your business to execute against. I find that product management engineering works best when teams are empowered to come up and choose their own tools uh, for, my, for my chair. <laughs> so I tend not to be over, overly prescriptive in, in the method to do that. But what I do want to make sure is that there's absolute clarity around product vision, customer value creation, And, you know, what's the health of that business going to look like over time as we make
2: those investments? Perfect. And Samaya, what about you? Someone who has really a framework for ultimately every person in this room. And I say that with love (laughs) because (laughs) frameworks provide you with a foundation to, to really create efficiency, right? Not to have to think as hard. So what's your perspective on this one?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I recently had that conversation with a startup founder who was thinking of OKRs and he doesn't even have products market fit or a viable product. And so as much as I love OKRs, I agree they can be an overkill. So who love OKRs. I think they should be used for mature products. I think they can be helpful to teams in enterprise settings for sure. If not, if, if you are in a pre-product market fit kind of situation, have that. <laughs> Understand that your product market fit is your number one goal. Break that down into maybe one or two metrics that would tell you that you have achieved it. And then the last thing, I know a lot of these frameworks, OKRs or V2 moms or uh, there are so many come with. to jeremiah's point a lot of dogma and methodology behind them do what works for your team so especially in corporations where they are not used to one of these frameworks take what has been established and try to edit it a little bit to make it work for what you're trying to achieve so usually metrics the only or the primary reason you want to have them is one to focus the team and two to define what success looks like, have something that already works, then why uh, fix something that's not broken?
2: Okay, well, in that case, my whole goal is to break the bond between PMs on the stage, and forever I fail, Jeff, to create controversy. But tonight, what I did create was an opportunity for insights, not from you, but ultimately credit to those in the audience that raise these insights. I want to say next week, we're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. And if there's an easier format for you to ask questions, or we can do it on a different way on your behalf, please let us know. Now with that in mind, Jeff, we are rounding out close to the end of the show and close to the end of the hour and want to pass it back to you for ultimately additional information we can learn and concluding thoughts.
0: Thank you. All right, Red. Thank you for managing the stage, keeping us on time and getting people included in the conversation. Love to see where people take it with our panel and our dear moderators. Sumaya, you've got a hard stop. So I want to get you a chance for concluding thoughts. If you have concluding thoughts tied to our conversation of what makes product management difficult, anything there, we'd love to hear it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is consistent with a the theme I've, I've brought up before. The psychology of the PM, I think, is uh, is the most important thing because the job is extremely demanding. Uh, you have to deal with a lot of people, some, demand, uh, some challenging ones and some great ones. And so mental health is so important. I talk to a lot of PMs. You know, you have to always be the resilient one. You have to be the one when the team faces setbacks. You're the one basically framing the conversation in a way that's about learning and about continuing and and moving forward. And so a lot falls on your shoulders from that perspective that doesn't really get measured. Translates, yes, in many ways to the to the health of the team. When you do it well, you... You don't really get any credit for it, but when you don't do it well, you are in so many ways, people will look at you as the responsible party. So in some of those aspects, it's a truly thankless job. And so I think at the end of the day, it's so important for PMs to focus on their mental health. So while you're increasing your skills, you know, that people measure on, let's say, the career progression frameworks, what does it mean to be a successful PM? Also, grow your skills that help you become more resilient and help you keep getting up and pushing forward and helping the rest of the team do the same. So take care of yourself first.
0: All right. Thank you, Sumeya. Speaking of taking care of yourself, go out and enjoy the end of the 30 days of of fasting and and celebrate with your family. Thanks for being here and every single week here on uh, How to Succeed in Product Management. Jeremiah, any concluding thoughts from you?
1: A lot of the questions in, center around what's the right way to do this job? And I think the, the honest answer is there isn't a right way to do this job. I mean, I think the, the, the reality is you've got to create a clear direction that everybody can get behind, rally the team to get there. You've got to pick the right set of metrics or rubrics or things to watch out for that are going to tell you <gasps> and validate if you're on the right path or the wrong path. And the shorter that learning cycle is, the better. And you've got to create a culture to learn.
0: All right, sorry I couldn't tell if you got cut off there. So the concluding thought there at the very end of that was uh, create a culture to learn. If I could double click on that, what can a PM do to create a culture to learn? The PM
1: being the PM is not all about you, and we we heard a little bit about that in the closing thoughts. It's really about the team that you create, and you know the more that runs through you, the more that you try to control it, the more that you, the more that you get fixed on maybe a metric or a rubric, and the less able you are to pivot and be agile and be graceful, the harder spot you're in and the harder plate, the harder, the more rigidity you're creating in the organization. So creating an environment where you're empowering everyone around you to feel really great about giving feedback openly with with candor, creating an environment where Everybody understands the vision, the objective, the customer value that's being created and, 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 and can rally behind that. Creating an environment where everybody knows what success should feel like or what the, the current stage of the product is, should feel like uh, so that you have early warning signs so that people are coming back to you and saying, "Is it? I know you said we were gonna go do this but I don't see it playing out that way or this customer was saying that it felt like this instead of that, et cetera, et cetera. The faster you create those feedback loops, the, the faster the whole organization's gonna be able to react and flow. And ideally, that behavior just becomes, you know it started, started with your vision, your direction, your, your approach, but because you championed it successfully, the whole organization begins to operate in that way. And you, when, when you're really successful, <laughs> it's not about you. To some degree, you're almost firing yourself. You're setting this, this target, you're getting everybody excited, everybody goes, you're there, you're coaching, you're picking people up, and then you're seeing if you do need to change directions, you, you get back in front and you, and you help do that. But the whole organization should be driving towards the objective and be able to learn as quickly as possible. And if you've done that right, you should almost be invisible. (laughs)
0: All right, Jeremiah, thank you so much for being here today, giving a great perspective. And that last point kind of reminds me of the importance of the Inclusive Product Management Summit, like what we're trying to do, what success looks like for us, is if you are able to be more inclusive of your stakeholders, regardless of their lived experiences, their demographics, gender, uh, sexual orientation, you know, the more that you're able to be inclusive of the people around you, the better you will be able to drive products and live what Jeremiah what you were just talking about of learning and moving forward and figuring out what's best for your customer. Also, the hope is that at the end of the summit, you're better prepared to uh, think about who might be excluded from your technology. Uh, so you're going to get practical examples of, of from product managers about uh, mistakes they made and what they learned from it. You're going to get practical examples of successes uh, that people had and what they learned from it. And the hope is that everybody listening, everybody who comes to the Inclusive Product Management Summit will be better prepared to not only manage stakeholders more inclusively, but to also build more inclusive products. Both of those are not just a moral imperative, but they tie to standard success outcomes for product management, you know, better solving your customer's problem and advancing your business objectives. And so I'm grateful that Jeremiah and the team at Motorola Solutions uh, shares this view and is investing in the, uh, the inclusive product management summit. I really appreciate them demonstrating a commitment to inclusion in that way. Uh, Red, you helped found the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. You are on the founding advisory board. Launch this podcast, launch this clubhouse room. I want to give you space for concluding thoughts.
2: My only thought here is, and I get this from the chat, the product manager's ability to listen is everything. And if there was anything we hope to strive to do on this show is to be able to understand and listen to what it is you need as a community and give that back to you. So our ask is really simple. If you have feedback for us about how we can make this better for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you feel like we're landing on something that's valuable to you, praise it. Let us know we're on the right track. That's all I can ask. And what I want to give you and what we commit to giving to you in return is listening and listening in a way that inspires others to do the same. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Oh, Red, spoken like a true PM. Yes, that feedback loop is critical to what we're doing. The product Management Center here at the University of Washington wants to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. We want to help all product managers from backgrounds and aspiring, back, uh, aspiring product managers from all backgrounds, help them drive success and to help them empower uh, success. And also, we want to uh, provide employers the, the most trusted source for diverse product management talent. Uh, there's so many people in our community that are ready for a chance to level up. They're already product managers, and we have a whole bunch of people in the product management management... management, inclusive product management accelerator, who are ready to get their first product management job and show you what they could do. We want to make sure that all employers know that there are people from all backgrounds ready uh, to succeed, and we're grateful to have them in the product management center community. That is all for today. We'll see you next week on how to succeed in product management right here on Clubhouse and on every major podcasting app. Jeremiah, thank you so much for being a part of this week, and we'll see you again soon.